0: Welcome.
1: My name is Blake Dean, and I'm here with my co-host Aaron Mones, and you are listening to New Voices, a thread of mutuality matters hosted by CBE International. And we are here with author and pastor Zach Wagner, who is an editorial director for the Center of Pastor Theologians. He is currently pursuing a PhD in New Testament at the University of Oxford. He lives in Oxford, England with his wife and three children. He is the author of a new book coming out in April 23, 23- 23, titled Non-Toxic Masculinity, Recovering Healthy Male Sexuality, being published by IVP. And we are very excited
2: to be with you today,
1: Zach. Thanks for being
2: here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk with you guys.
1: But before we get to the meat of the conversation, Aaron Moniz, we must know, what are you watching, reading, and or listening to these days?
3: Absolutely, Blake. You know, I get a bad rep for bringing us uh, down really culturally in this section, but I do have something because it's the season of Lent. And as a result, uh, my husband and I are actually going back to a book that was uh, published back in 2020 uh, through Anglican Compass. Uh, I want to get the name right. It's uh, Lent, the Journey from Ash Wednesday through Holy Week. And um, it's contributions by a bunch of different Anglicans. And uh, we've been reading that together as part of our Lenten practice. So take that. I'm actually into something. That is valuable to our listeners at this point, (laughs) but you know, there's always an opportunity. There's always an opportunity to 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 swing us the other way. So, Blake Dean, what are you watching, or reading, or listening to?
1: Again, I am just gonna. I'm I'm sorry. I'm doing something actually a little highbrow. I'm reading The Tempest right now during Lent um, with my brother. Of course, I'm very excited about that. that.
3: Wow! Wow! I shouldn't. I should never be shocked at this point. I really should I know. know I'm things. sorry. Yeah,
1: I'm really sorry, Zach. What are you watching, reading, or listening to? Yeah, I I, I pick
2: one. Is that what it is? That's kind of or
1: two or three.
2: Oh. No. Uh, well, I can rapid fire it. I saw on on Twitter. I think it was yesterday that uh, it's like the 20th anniversary of the beautiful letdown by Switchfoot,
3: mm-hmm. which I
2: couldn't believe. Oh. Um. So that that was crazy. And I was like, I haven't listened to that album in a while and got all the junior high feels uh, going through that one, which was yeah. a lot of fun. Um, and then reading um, earlier today, I mean, I'm always reading a lot because I'm working on a PhD. I'm, uh, uh, I was reading uh, Seneca's uh, De Beneficis, or On Benefits, or On Gifts, if mm-hmm. you ask uh, John Barclay um, how... Uh, to translate Keras and all sorts of boring things um, that I won't get super into. They're actually not boring. They just might be boring to some, uh, to some people listening. Um, so that's a, uh, a Latin, Latin treatise on uh, gift giving in the ancient world, which is uh, part of my research. And then watching, last thing I watched was a rerun of West Wing. Um, my wife, Shelby, and I are uh, actually doing a, our first watch through. Um, and we're about midway through season two and really liking it a lot. So that's why. Yes. It's so
1: good. Right Aaron doing. and I are on our third watch through and we're in the middle of season four. Okay. <laughs> I yes. can't wait. I can't wait yes. for you. I'm so excited for
2: you. Oh
3: yeah. West Wing has <laughs> definitely come up on this show before. For it's sure. So oh good. good. Well, I'm glad, so glad
2: good. we're slotting right in here. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, we're so,
1: we've been so excited about um, getting a hold of this book, but also getting to talk to you about it. Cause I think, um, for both Aaron and I, this is a part of kind of the matrix of the conversations we have, where resources sometimes can be lacking, um, and um, especially thoughtful resources um, such as yours. And we're really excited to chat with you about it. Um, but I want to kind of jump in from kind of the the get go and talks about talk about the term that shows up most immediately when somebody hit touches your book, which is toxic masculinity, and in your phrase non-toxic masculinity, but it's, it's often used yet rarely understood and um, can be kind of um, either weaponized or just assumed depending on who you're talking to. So maybe could we talk about your work definition of the term toxic masculinity and why you chose to situate your project about masculinity around um, purity culture and Christian male sexuality?
2: Sure. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right that toxic masculinity. I mean, it's a it's a buzzword, and like so many buzzwords, uh, particularly buzzwords around controversial topics, they kind of get, they grow, they like take on a life of their own, and they become weaponized and different things, like you say. And I think, it, my understanding very very few people when they say toxic masculinity are saying that like it's bad to be male or that like men in general are bad. And sometimes I feel like I see the kind of like, you know, conservatives who want to defend masculinity or traditional masculinity Speaking as if they think that toxic masculinity, things masculine, like means that masculinity in and of itself is bad. I don't think anyone's arguing that. I think rather what people are arguing, and what I, um, part of what I want to say in my book, and I'll get to my working definition in a little bit, is that for a variety of kind of culturally situated history of Western civilization, history of you know the human race reasons. There are certain ways of living into and living out male embodiments that cause harm um, to uh, to women certainly, but also to men. I think is something that's not not always appreciated. So you can go kind of Oxford English Dictionary on it, and I think in 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 my book, in the opening chapter, I, I cite kind of a generic definition. And it's kind of men are aggressive, like cultural values that make men aggressive or violent or emotionally repressed or any number of things. And you can kind of look at that and be like, yeah, those things are, those things are bad, I guess. Um, and uh, men shouldn't be like that. And there's not really much constructive said other than there men act bad sometimes. And that's quote unquote toxic. Um, but I wanted to do kind of in my book, something that situates that in not only in a Christian kind of narrative and discourse, but also uh, our understanding of sin and what is it about uh, what if something has gone wrong with masculinity and and maleness, how do we tie that into this kind of broader cultural discourse on on toxic masculinity, kind of in the post in the post. Me Too movement, let's say, although certainly not limited to that. Um, so, in I think about th- what is it, three, four chapters And I have this ca- this chapter called the dehumanization of men, and my working definition for toxic masculinity is a way of living out male embodiment that dehumanizes either the self or others. Hmm. Um, so that's my working definition and um maybe i'll stop there and give uh, either of you guys a chance to react to that but there's a lot a lot more that we could go into but that's kind of the, the the setup and we can we can maybe circle back to the purity culture angle angle or anything else that you want to anywhere else yeah. you want to go
3: no I, I really i really appreciate this and i think for our listeners it's interesting it'll be interesting for them to know that while they may be familiar with several books that have come out in the past few years that um are shining a light on toxic masculinity historically, as it's Mm -hmm. been um, unpacking it uh, throughout um, kind of our modern Christian history. Um, Your book does does something different, and it takes um, a different approach to saying, okay, let's locate this um, theologically, let's locate this, like you said, in an embodied way, a way that, um, that you provide, a, I think a real accessibility for, because you're not only coming at it, um, as a, as a, as a, someone who knows scripture and theology, but personally, it's your own mm. story woven in. And I think, uh, for listeners who, who are interested in thinking about your book, it's, it's good to know that this is the approach you're taking, which is distinct, I think, and different from. Um, from some things that they may have already been reading about toxic masculinity.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the personal angle is why I even had the idea to set out to write the book. It was, mm. it was the, um, I mean, the timing was terribly inconvenient for writing a book because I, I'm, I'm currently working on, uh, I was just in my first year of starting a PhD program And, um, I just found myself being really affected by, uh, some of the different news, uh, stories that were breaking kind of in the, in the, um, evangelical subculture. Yeah. And, uh, through some conversations with some friends, um, I don't know, long story short, I thought, man, someone's got to like talk about this for men and, maybe I could do that. Uh, You know, like like that was kind of, that was kind of the feeling because it was, it was a desire for something that, that I didn't quite feel was there. And another thing I should say to start is that, um, you know, like sexuality is not the, like sum total of what people think about when they think about broken masculinity or maybe sometimes it is, but my, my book, it, it focuses on sexuality and and sometimes i might i even say it focuses on like eroticism is what Mm -hmm. i mean like what is the male experience of the of the erotic um which is to narrow it even a little bit further to kind of this um you know purity culture every man's battle story that has um you know been unfolding for the past couple decades in the Christian subculture. Right. Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about, yeah, let's talk ahead. about purity culture. Cause, cause sure.
3: you, you jump right in early on in the book, going straight for that, that sort of framework. Uh, tell, tell our listeners why, why that's the lead in, why that's
2: important. Yeah. um, Because I, you know, and I've been helped by this, Uh, it just in some of the, some of the books that I've read over the past few years, there's been kind of a movement, maybe the past six, seven years coming out of the kind of purity movement that I think started, you you know, the history of it, you can place in the nineties and then maybe it peaks in the early aughts or something like that. Um, But it was around before that. And it's also still around in various ways. Um, But Kind of post me too, and then church too, which is this um, hashtag movement that uh, focused specifically on uh, sexual abuse and abuse of women and and also children in in Christian contexts in churches and Christian organizations. And um, one of the women who kind of helped launch that, um, Emily Joy Allison, uh, wrote a book to, called Church Two. Mm -hmm. Um, that in many ways I feel like I'm indebted to because I, because she, um, started to connect some of these dots between purity culture and this kind of crisis of abuse that people were starting to see and, and realize was, was there in the evangelical subculture. But then there's also, um, you know, other authors that have looked at purity culture from a more academic or historical angle and the more i thought about that for myself and the way purity culture had formed me and um then uh and just read these these books and looked at what was happening around me i just started connecting more and more dots and the essence i think of it is that um purity culture i think confirmed and even cultivated a hyper-sexual vision of what it means to be male. Mm. Um, And as many people have said, it kind of placed so much of the burden of sexual quote-unquote purity or integrity um, on women in Christian contexts um, and kind of painted this picture of men as these out-of-control sex machines um, that really can't help it if they're, you know, exposed to sexual temptation or sexual stimulus and are just because they're male. Um, and this is the line from every man's battle. Um, it's almost the thesis of every man's battle. Right. <laughs> um, it's not like it's something that shows up and then they move on. Um, uh, that th- part of what it means to be male is to be kind of helplessly and hopelessly hypersexual in your way of viewing the world. So the, the, the line to connect from that way of speaking about and thinking about men and thinking about yourself as a man, as like, you know, me in in terms of like growing up and coming into adolescence and you know, pastors and parents and friends are talking about like throwing books at you. And then you're like, Oh yeah, this is what it, this is just how it is as a dude. Like every time mm-hmm. you see a girl, this is just where your brain goes. And that's just kind of how it is like that. The, the line to connect from that way of thinking about maleness to the types of abuse and misconduct we were seeing by Christian leaders, Christian men, Kind of ongoing uh, struggles with pornography and this and that and the other thing. Um, that didn't just seem like an ass- those things are both happening. I was starting to feel more and more convinced that there was a, a certain type of causal relationship between those things. So uh, that's why um, the framing of purity culture, I think, was uh, was the approach that I took. And the last thing I'll say is that um you know for these half a dozen or more kind of post purity culture books that have been published in the in the past f- few years um almost all of them have been written by women what about just you know we have all these books from men or, or from women rather uh kind of deconstructing if you want to use that term purity culture but i think it's not like men got got some some, uh, fallout from the thing as well that I, that I understood to be different and, uh, kind of worthy of its own conversation. So those are some of the, some of the reasons for the framing of the book.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I'm, I'm really excited to get kind of into the, um, the wheeze a little bit on your book, but first we're going to take
0: a quick break. Enjoying the podcast. Take our survey and help shape the future of Mutuality Matters. Check the show notes below for the link or go to cbe.today forward slash pod survey.
1: Well, so when we, um, right before we took a break, we were talking about um, this, like why purity culture was um, a framework that you wanted to begin with and move towards. And I think number one, on a personal level, I think number one, you you give so much of your personal life in the narrative mm. of this book, which I really appreciate. Um, and I loved your wife's, um, I can't remember if it was a preface or an intro, but yeah, giving, preface. I think that was really important to say like, this isn't yeah, just the story that's being too. told from your perspective, but with the consent and the editorial hand of your wife as well, which I thought was really powerful. But mm. I also think on on my end from a personal level, as a as a male who grew up in a similar subculture, yeah. who also um, began to ask some serious questions about what it meant, not only to be male and female, but what it meant to be male and female in the kingdom of God together um, mm. in non-sexual contexts. Yes. Um, I think that that this book has been, um, I'm really anxious to give it to some people that I really love because I think the, the and you brought this up a minute ago, but the, the kind of linchpin for me is this idea that the problem is not being male, it's having a hypersexualized vision of maleness. And mm. I think that that, um, even though like I think the three of us could sit here, and many of our listeners can sit here and be like, yep, that's that's it. I think it's still that's still the minority report about maleness, mm. is that um that instead of um instead of this being assumed, a hypersexualization mm-hmm. being assumed about maleness, that this is actually um, something that's received, not something inherent. And I think that that's important. And I think something that you kind of hit head on in your work. And I'm really grateful for and appreciative mm-hmm. of and yeah. damages, not only um, women, although certainly and profoundly, but also um, men in the process. And I'm really grateful for your book and your, um, your contribution to the conversation. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. Um, and I'm really Thank grateful you. for that. Um, Thank you. So but can we talk a little bit more about this dehumanization of both of the sexes at the same time, sure, maybe yeah. within the framework of purity culture, but not solely, but within that framework, maybe just a hypersexualization of of um, the masculine um, overall
2: and kind of talk about that maybe particularly in Christian spaces. Yeah, well, I think just to kind of continue with what you were just talking about, when we define maleness in terms of kind of intense sexual desire and you could even put in parentheses like like heterosexual desire there um where there's it's not often explicitly stated although sometimes it is um there's almost this like script that men in christian cultures and 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 certainly the culture broadly it's not just unique to the Christian subculture. Like Christians didn't invent toxic masculinity by no means. <laughs> right. um, but we are responsible for why it sometimes and in certain ways seems to like take up root in our communities. I think that should be very alarming. Um, uh, but if we have this kind of like hypersexual understanding of what it means to be male, or sometimes we make that like the essence of what it means to be male, as men are growing up into their sexuality, um, there's this idea of kind of like needing to perform and live into like an intense experience of erotic desire. Um, so the script of like what it means to be a man is to be like kind of sexually obsessive. And the, and, and uh, the, we could say on the flip side, sometimes the script of what it means to be female is to be kind of like sexually like docile or subdued or like it's kind of unladylike if you're expressing erotic desire or experiencing erotic desire. That's another side of, side of the same coin. Um, but like the fact is that our sexuality is good. It's created by God. It's part of our good innate, you know, human nature, but it is just part of it. It's not the essence of it. So, um, yeah, so when men understand their sexuality, when it becomes too big in our vision of what it means to be human and what it means to be male, we have dehumanized ourselves is what I want to argue. We've kind of made our humanity into less of what it is and we've made part of our humanity into more of what it is. And that's um, you know, like it's it's not it's not uncommon for men to think about themselves in kind of like animalistic terms as it relates to their sexuality or their culture to think about men and sex in kind of animalistic terms. So that's the kind of thing I'm trying to get at when I talk about the dehumanization of men um, is this idea that, like, no, I'm like, I'm just a sex machine. I can't help it. Like, it's just how I'm wired. And so but if you believe that as a man or as a young man as a boy growing up into your sexuality you've sold yourself short like as as a human being you should be able to aspire to like hey you know i can treat this person as a dig- in a dignified way it's not like i can't help the what my mind does or where my mind goes or how my body reacts like mm-hmm. It's, I'm not saying that's always easy to get to a more mature, more human way of expressing your sexuality. But this idea that it's, inevitable, it's an inevitable part of being, of being male um, that I will kind of consistently be tempted by and indulge in sexual sin um, is profoundly dehumanizing, it seems to me. And, uh that type of dehumanization leads to and this is a, a, a major theme in, in what I've written it leads to a, a, just a profound experience of shame and and um, loneliness and and self-hatred and body hatred and all sorts of things
0: mm-hmm. for
2: men so that's the that's that's not not that every man experienced purity culture this way but that a lot of men did and do experience purity profound suffering as a result of the vision of of male sexuality that they were given in that context and um then the flip side of that is when you dehumanize yourself um you're it's kind of this back and forth when you dehumanize yourself you're more likely to dehumanize others which is to say to sin against others um, and likewise, when you sin against others, you are dehumanizing yourself. You are, you know, we think of sin as a falling short of what. Of a lot of times, we talk about falling short of God's law or falling short of of God's character or disobeying God or something like that. But it is a at the same time a falling short of being truly human. It's a it's a falling off of who we were made to be. So. When men lust after wa- women, uh, watch pornography, um, you know, coerce and pressure their wife into yeah. sex when she doesn't feel like it, um, that's dehumanizing to her and to these women or whatever the case may be. Certainly, but in so doing, the man is also dehumanizing himself as he falls off of uh, living into the true humanity that he was created to live to live into. And, um, and treating another person as less than their humanity deserves.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It it was, it was, I had a conversation with a friend, this was just months ago. Um, and I was thinking about this when I started reading your book, because he said, you know, I I'm reading a lot about toxic masculinity. I'm learning a lot about the way that this this is, this is something we should take seriously, something that we should, you know, be thinking about. But as a man, I'm just filled with so much shame. Yeah. And filled with so so much, I'm just sort of beaten down by what I'm hearing. And 100%. something I love about your book, and and something I want to make sure listeners know is that you you diagnose this well. You are you, you really come at it, I think, charitably but directly. But then you you offer a new vision, a hope, a sort of theological reorienting for men and how to how to think and deal with the shame and the things that we're hearing as they as they affect each person personally um and so i wondered if if as we're, we're wrapping up here if you could just say a few words about i mean particularly your your, your chapter on jesus i thought was just was just so wonderful and, and so life-giving um even to mm-hmm. me as a female reader um but the how how your book pivots towards this sort of restorative idea of masculinity
2: yeah Well, um, I mean, the books on sex and uh, masculinity that I read growing up, you know, and it's been a while for some of them. So, um, but I felt like there was precious little about what one, one, like a theological anthropology, like a theology of what it means to be human, what it means to be sexual, um, but also like very little about like what does the story of Jesus's you know incarnation life death and resurrection have to do with all of this except for because the cross your sexual sins can be forgiven right like that's the extent of it It (laughs) there's kind of this there's (laughs) kind of this assumption that like you know like it's it's really weird because there was almost this like works righteousnessy vibe to it. Like, mm-hmm. work really, really hard to stay pure so that, like, God and your future spouse will love you. But if you fall off of that, it's cool because, like, Jesus died for your sins and you can be forgiven and there's another chance or something. <laughs> um, and I just have, as I, as I grew up and, um, you know, got some education and Lived, lived some life, got married, all sorts of things. I just found that so profoundly dissatisfying way mm-hmm. of understanding how like the 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 redemptive narrative of scripture relates to our sexuality. So one of the things that I did in writing this is look at Jesus, like you say, and there's a few things we learned from from Jesus. Um, I think as it relates to it, how we can renew our vision of, of male sexuality. Um, first is that our human sexuality, even in its brokenness after the fall was not so broken that God, the son couldn't inhabit it. So whatever dark and gross feelings we might feel about our sexuality, um, it's still good. Mm. And, um, Jesus is a, a, a full human being, um, sexuality and all like sexual organs and all like an actual mm-hmm. male, yeah. um, with the same kind of bodily experiences that, you know, men listening to this, uh, right now experience in their own bodies. <laughs> and despite that, despite that Jesus never indulged in the dehumanizing of himself or the dehumanizing of others in spite of his being a sexual person. Mm-hmm. And uh you know I think a lot of uh, we hear that and we're like yeah 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 but he's Jesus it's easier <laughs> for Jesus. And I'm not sure if that's right. Um mm-hmm. you know the H- Hebrews talks about that G- Jesus being tested in every way as we are but yet without sin. And we see mm-hmm. clear examples of Jesus radically dignifying the women that he speaks to. And, you know, he's, he's, he's a a single celibate man and never once kind of suggested like, guys, man, it's like, it's really tough to not have sex. That's like part of what it means to be a dude. And like, I'm, I'm just like really suffering out here. Like, no, he just like lived as, as, as a fully alive person in relationships Mm -hmm. with men and with women and with children. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one thing I think we learned from Jesus, and then, two is I think the cross shows us not just that our sins can be forgiven, but it shows us that there's a brokenness in us that needs to die mm. um there's something there's something about the way that our hum- our humanity has been corrupted that needs to be put to death mm. um and it's you know. <laughs> it's not just about working hard and fighting the battle against sin, you know, every man's battle. Um, What about like, you know, I had a conversation with a colleague of mine, we were talking about these things. Like, what about like every man's crucifixion? (laughs) Like, like this idea that whatever kind of selfish dehumanizing impulses that have like taken up residence in your body, these aren't just things that they do. They are, they're mapped onto like who you are in a certain way. So there's this kind of, I'm not my sin, but my sin is like, it's, 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 it's latched onto me. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you know, all throughout the new Testament, there's, there's repeated references to putting um, our old self our sinful self to death. But then, then it doesn't even end there because the resurrection gives us hope that, and reminds us that there is a new way to be human. And if there's a new way to be human, that means there's a new way to be male. Um, Amen. So that's a, that's a kind of a summary of some of the things I do in that chapter. And I, I I don't do, I I worry, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I worry. Some readers might be disappointed because I, it's not quite like a five-step program to like healthy male sexuality. Um, Because I honestly, I don't think that's how this works. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's how growing up works. I think it's conversations, it's discipleship, it's, it's two steps forward, three steps back. It's really, really frustrating um, moments sometimes. um, And um, maybe a lot of sadness and loneliness and shame and suffering, but also um, just a constant, um, keeping on keeping on putting one foot in step of the other, uh, learning, uh, from Jesus by Jesus and, um, the, the spirit doing work in your life, just you and him or in relationships or any number of things. This is, this is just a, it's a, it's a long process. Um, and I think, uh, the, the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has everything to do with male sexuality.
1: I concur. I think, um, Aaron and I talk a lot about, um, especially like working in the intersection of theology and gender, and that comes with a lot of urgency, but also a lot of, um, controversy and how do, and how do we navigate this? And I think the thing that I really appreciate about your book and so many of the other people we talk to is, um, sometimes offering Jesus can be a sentiment, like a sentimental bandaid, right? Mm -hmm. Do like, well, there's Jesus, you're good. You're like, it's all good. It's all going to be okay. He works all things together for the good. And I think the thing that I so appreciate about even what you just said, but even more so in the pages of your book is how the gospel is a concrete reality Mm -hmm. for concrete people. um, One of whom was Jesus. And um, Mm -hmm. because he was a concrete, actual person, an actual human being, an actual male um, that, 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 that the redemption that is offered is not just sentimental, but it's concrete. And, um, And I think the thing that I so appreciate about your book is that it's not a five-step program. I think we have too many of those. (laughs) I think, um, and some people, I, some readers, I think
2: they don't work. They don't work
1: (laughs) because, because Christ isn't at the center. It's Christ Mm. is maybe, um, a footnote, um, which Mm. may be a little uncharitable, but I don't think so. Um, (laughs) and I, and I, I, because I think, yeah, I really appreciate um, the kind of weight of gravity in your work, especially on what does it mean to be, restored as a male um is to follow the person of christ but be restored by christ and yes. i think that that um yeah i think it's that matters neither, it's
2: neither if i can just interject here no you're good it's 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 a i think it takes a full orbed view of the atonement really so it's it, it's not just kind of like penal substitution although it is mm-hmm. that like it is We've done sinful things and that needs to be atoned for. So it is the forgiveness of sins, but neither is it just the imitation of Christ. Like Jesus lived a perfect life. So imitate your big brother and live like he did. It's not just that, but it is that. It is. I can look to Jesus and think like what I, you know, what I said earlier, he, this is a, a, a male human being like me who didn't indulge in these dehumanizing pressures of the culture around him, but it's also renewal. It's, it's forgiveness of sins, imitation of Christ and the literal like embodied renewal of what it means to be human. It is all of those things. And that's just, that's just good new Testament theology. It seems to me. And, yeah. uh, we're yeah. not, um, we're not doing enough of that. I, yeah. when, when it, as it relates to, uh, you know, quote unquote, sexual purity, it seems to me, and um, yeah. the church needs to do more of that work. And not only is that good New Testament theology, that is also just good
1: news. <laughs> like that, is. that is just oh, good news yes. Yes, for me and for us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Zach. Aaron, you want to take us out?
3: Yes. We want to make sure everyone knows that Non-Toxic Masculinity Recovering a Healthy Male Sexuality is coming out in April And we highly recommend it to you. We'll have links in the show notes. Um, And we just want to thank everyone uh, who listened today. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can hear weekly from our other co-hosts and other themes that we've developed content on for uh, gender theology, for the gospel empowerment of men and women. And be sure to follow CB International on social media. You can also go to their website for even more content. Uh, subscribe to their blog, magazine, academic journal, watch videos, and listen to audio of past conferences and events. And you should visit their bookstore where you can find uh, so many talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents and leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. We would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the team at CBE International that make this podcast possible. I'm Erin Monez with my co-host, Blake Dean, We Are Mutuality Matters. Thanks
0: for listening. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers.